0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Widjah Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. So on Fridays we've been going through this book right here which is called Treatise for the Seekers of Guidance and essentially we've been exploring foundational spiritual concepts. the book This book that we're going through is written by a really early scholar in the Islamic tradition, um, Imam Hadith al Muhasibi. And so this week we've reached a section where the author uh, is talking about trying to gauge what our relationship with God is like. Because if I ask you right now, do you feel close to God? And you could say yes, you might say no and, and maybe you're basing it on a subjective feeling Right? I could ask you how do you view God And you might give me some type of assessment If I ask you how does God view you Then the answer is a little challenging, right? Like we might know how we feel about God and how we view God How does God view me? That might not be so obvious and you're not really sure how to even measure that do you get what i'm saying and so the author now brings a hadith a saying of the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him it's a it's a hadith that's not of the highest authenticity but it's been narrated by imam al-hakim al-imam ibn abid dunya al-imam abu ya'la al-imam al-bazzar imam al-tabarani imam al-bayhaqi they narrate this hadith where the messenger of God mentions وسلم, that the status of a servant with God is commensurate to the status of God with the servant. How do you view God? Well, will say a lot about how God views you. That's what he's saying. Right? And so then he goes on to explain that commensurate to the fear, to the knowledge, and to the the deeper understanding that the servant possesses of God. The words in Arabic here are khashya, ilm, and ma'rifah. Okay, Let's, uh, let's explore this a little bit. The author is saying... If you want to know if you're close to God, like that God views you as being near to Him and being beloved to Him, look at how much fear of God you have. Look how much knowledge of God you have. And look at how deep your knowledge and relationship with God is. Okay, let's start with fear. The word in Arabic here is khashya. This is a really interesting concept. Because we could start with the question. How much do you fear God? How much khashya of God do we have? And, but first we got to pause and say, wait, someone could totally misunderstand the question because there's different types of fear. Um, if you see a lion, that's the type of fear you might have from the lion. If you see Somebody that you have a deep respect for, and you fear, example, upsetting them or disobeying them. That's driven by a very different force. Do you get what I'm saying? Um, so in Arabic, you have a word khauf Khawf is that fear that is, in a sense, It's a fear of punishment induced by the terror that the other holds in your heart do you understand like you're scared of what they can do to you because of their power and their might so literally it's driven by your fear of being punished by them does that make sense so we can apply that to the lion like why do you scare why are you scared of a lion because of what it can do to you it's not because of any inherent trait that the lion has you're just trying to avoid being harmed by the lion that's what's driving your fear now we can talk about another human being right another human being that you have a deep respect for because maybe they're just a really upright human you know a human being of integrity of honesty um and you have a deep respect for them And you have a fear of upsetting them. And let's say you know for a fact that they would never harm you physically or even verbally. Like you know that they are so disciplined, they're such a good human being that they would never do that to you. Like you don't have an ounce of fear that they would do that to you. But you could still do what? I really don't wanna make them upset. You could do a lot to say, I don't wanna make them upset. What's driving that fear? Yeah. Respect. respect. So what is it that you actually fear here? Right. Their displeasure. That they become upset with you. And that's driven by what? Your love for them. Your deep respect, your love, your appreciation for who they are. Does that make sense? That's very different than the fear you experience you know, in relation to a lion. The two are very different. We say fear, but one of them is driven by the the harm that the the, the lion can cause you and the other is not by the harm the person will cause you. No, you're actually certain that they will not harm you. (coughs) The fear is because of your immense respect and love for them, that you don't want to let them down. You don't want them to be upset with you. That's a very different type. That, in Arabic, the scholars mention is called khashya. Does that make sense? That is khashyah. And when we are taught and told to fear Allah, it's not meant to be in the first sense, in like in relation to a lion. It's meant to be in the second sense. Does that make sense? Y'all get where I'm coming from with this? Yeah um, and so there's there's a verse in the Quran in Surah Ad-Dhariyat, it's such a beautiful verse. And very interesting, Allah Ta'ala says, a'udhu billahi minash-shaytanir-rajeem, bismillahir-rahmanir-rahim, fa ila Allah, inni lakum minhu nadhirum mubeen. It's a command to the Prophet sallallahu wasallam to tell the people. Tell the people O Muhammad, Fafirru firu ila Allah. Flee to Allah. And then, tell them what? I am truly sent by Him with a clear warning to you. That's a little puzzling. Why? Do do y'all see how that's a little puzzling? It says, flee to Allah. I'm here to warn you about Allah. Do you understand? So, what's going on here? Because if you're being warned against something, what do you do? You flee from it. Because you're worried about it. You're scared of it. The verse says, no, 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 no. Flee to Allah. I'm warning you about Allah and flee to Him. Very interesting. Yeah, you got your hand up? Okay, no problem. Anyone anyone want to share some thoughts on how that makes any sense? Yeah? Uh, Because maybe, like, if you... Flee away from him or do anything other than him, you will fall into bad things. And like everything that's other than him will be bad. So like you'll be punished for that. So you have to, right. Like, right. You know, Absolutely. Him. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. The scholars say when we say flee from Allah, it doesn't mean flee from or flee towards Allah. That we're warning you. The Prophet Sallallahu is saying, I'm warning you about the consequences of disobeying God. And so the idea is flee to God away from his disobedience, flee towards his mercy, away from his disobedience. That's what it's saying here. And that's really interesting because the moment we hear of punishment, we think what? We think we should run away. The moment we hear about boundaries that someone's drawing, we feel like maybe we should run away. God is telling us don't do this and we're being told what don't go in that direction actually go towards God the idea is that if you go in that direction you're gonna end up doing what he doesn't want you to do and then the warning that the Prophet brought you is literally gonna apply to you so go in the opposite direction go towards God and in moving towards God you're the safest you're the safest. Um, you ever heard this, this saying? The closer you are to danger, the further you are from harm? Anyone know where that's from? Anyone know where that's from? If anyone knows, you're like, you're a real one. The opposite is not true. The opposite is not true. The opposite is that if you don't know, then you're not a real one. That's not true. Just that part is true though. No? Lord of the Rings? Nobody? Okay. Y'all don't know that one. Right? The idea is, the closer you are to danger, the further you are from harm. Meaning what? What's the safest place? I know it's a crazy example, but if someone's got a gun, where's the safest place? Right here. Right? So, we we are taught to... Flee towards God. Because really, there's nowhere else to go. Where else would you go? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have a question. Sure. Um, if you want to get close to the left kind of God, right? And you know, you're trying to get closer but there's just something else that's trying to stop you from it, even if you try harder and like, you can't. I don't understand why that happens. Why is it so hard? That's, really, really yeah, that's a good question. And it could be many things, right? Um, Because we're taught that there are many obstacles that prevent us from connecting with God. There are inner obstacles within ourselves that hold us back, such as what? Such as our desires. I was called your nefs. That as you want to move towards the obedience of God, your nefs doesn't want to do that. Why? Because in trying to obey God, you have to set boundaries on yourself. The nafs does not like boundaries. So it wants to do things that are pleasurable, for example. And there are limitations to your, your ability as a Muslim to, to, to enjoy pleasure. You must do it in a very particular way. This is one of the, I think, one of the greatest challenges we face. Is to really fight against the impulse of our sensations. Where, when we feel something pleasurable, we think it's good. It's really hard to, to, to fight against that. Because your, sensei- your senses tell you this is good. Whether it's food that tastes good, and you're like, this is against my diet, but you eat it, right? Because, is it good? It depends, right? It tastes, we say it tastes good But is it good for me in the bigger, in the grand scheme of things? The answer sometimes is no. Same thing. A lot of times, sins are pleasurable. In that sense, they feel good. In the grand scheme of things, are they good for us? And the answer is no. And so it takes a certain control over your desires to hold yourself back. But not only that, it takes, and we could go on for a long time about this point, but... You could actually have to hold yourself back from many different factors that push you towards it, that are triggers, environments, hanging around with certain people, being exposed to certain content, all these things, even if you're trying to control your nafs, these things will trigger you. And your nafs will then be very strongly inclined. Do you understand? And so, if we're not, so to summarize that point about the nafs, if we're not going to shut down, all the different triggers and things that could incite the nefs, we're going to continue to fall prey to the nafs' impulses, do you understand? So it's like, someone's like, I want to connect with God, for example. And they're trying to connect with God, but they refuse to give up, for example, that haram relationship. It's not surprising. It should not be surprising. Because the way to cut off is to cut off. There's a common question, Shaykh, how do I end that relationship? You end it. That's what you do. No, there's no two ways about it. There's no like, yeah, like only on the weekend. No. (laughs) You end it. If it's haram, it's haram. Yeah, but Shaykh, it hurts. I know it hurts. Absolutely it hurts. Heartbreak is very real. Yeah, but again, and, and there's so many... There's so many side effects to it too. Side effects is not the right word. But there are so many when you cut off the relationship, people go through real pain. Where they can't let go, they can't delete the photos. Do you understand? They'll go back and like when they're feeling really lonely and they miss the person, they'll go back and look at the photos. And then they'll be like, Sheikh, I can't get over them. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> they still got the hoodie. Dude, you understand? Like, I'm sorry that we had to go there, but... Do you understand? I want to connect with God. I want to connect with God, but I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up these things. That's not how it works, right? It's like, I want to get in shape, but I also will never say no to a cookie. It's not how it works. You understand? No, no, and, and this is very important. Here's the question. We're going to go forward. Actually, it's perfect. Well, let's move forward a little bit and then we'll come back. The author goes on to say, Know that whoever gives preference to God, God gives preference to him. Know that whoever gives preference to God, God gives preference to him. Who do you prioritize in your life? You will prioritize the people that prioritize you. Is that not the case? If you find out that you are not someone's priority... Meaning if something, if they have to cancel on somebody, you're that person. What's your relationship to that person now? You start to feel like, actually, mm, I guess I'm just gonna have to reciprocate. Maybe you held them in the highest esteem previously until you found out what they thought of you. Now you're not trying to be like problematic, but you're saying what? This could lead to a really unhealthy dynamic where I'm bending over backwards for the friendship and you don't even consider it like to be important at all. And that's not a healthy dynamic. And so you might just say, okay, fine, I'll distance myself. Because they've shown you through their actions that you're not a priority. Y'all had plans, you know, you've been planning for weeks that this is happening on Saturday. Saturday, Friday rolls around and what? You get the dreaded call. You're like, oh no, I know where this is going. Hey I can't make it and then you're like, oh, look at that. And then you find out what? You find out through your burner account that yeah. That that they, that there's that they could have made it. They actually just ended up making plans with somebody else. And they're posting photos. To the close friends that you're not a part of, because it took you off close friends. Oh snap. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all get where I'm coming from? from? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and if you say no, your laughter betrays you, <laughs> right? No, that, that's that's the example here. We want we want to be we want to be a priority in God's eyes, in God's gaze. We want to be a priority, and we haven't made Him a priority. We don't even accept that from another human being. How would the Lord of the worlds ever accept that from us, His servants? Do you understand? And so, in every decision we make, we are sending a message to God whether or not He's a priority in our lives. Is Fajr a priority? Is my sleep a priority? Right? Is the obedience of God a priority? Or His displeasure? His disobedience. We're constantly, you know, sending a message to God of the status of our relationship with Him. So the author says, know that whoever gives preference to God, meaning in situations that you find yourself, where you're kind of forced to pick between two things, which is very common, by the way. Right? Do I eat halal? Do I eat haram? Do I engage halal relationship? Haram relationship. Do I do it the halal way or the haram way? Like, what do I do? we're constantly faced. And we could tell ourselves, and we could even, that's the, that's the crazy thing about the human being. The human being can lie to themselves, Let alone lying to other people, like that's understandable. You can lie to yourself. And if you can do that, you have to be a little bit concerned when you start to notice discrepancies. Where you say something, but you don't do it. <clears throat> That's called hypocrisy. And so we could lie to ourselves and say, yeah, God is number one in my life. Instagram bio, right? God <laughs> God first or something. Yeah, Instagram bio, but like not your actual real life day to day 24 hours bio. There's a discrepancy there. Do you get what I'm saying? So that's, that's what's important is If we give preference to God in those situations, God gives preference to us. How? The scholars explain He gives preference to us through guidance. He guides us. We're like, Ya Allah, save me from this sin. And then we're wondering why we cannot be saved or we're not being saved. We're stuck still in the sin. Why He hasn't guided us? Because we haven't taken steps. Part of sincere tawbah and repentance, because what does repentance mean? Tawbah means to turn back. Rujur. So that means you're going in a certain direction and you say what? Wrong direction. Let me turn around. Let me turn back to God. Let me flee to God. You know, the idea. Let me go back to God. Part of sincere tawbah is not just astaghfirullah. But part of sincere tawbah is to actually make a firm intention, I'm going to leave this. And a firm intention is not just words. It's whatever steps need to be taken to leave this, I'm going to do that. So if that means telling the person it's over and blocking and all of that, that's what you do. Suddenly, Tawbah is not so easy. Yeah. You, you take something from someone, Tawbah is not just to say, hey man, I'm sorry, I'm keeping this. It's like, no. Part of Tawbah is to return it. There's an action that accompanies Tawbah. Does, does that make sense? And so that's, that's the thing. Allah guides us when we turn to Him. So it starts with the human being. It starts with us turning to God. We take the first step. The hadith tells us, we take the first step, and God's mercy comes running towards us. God's mercy comes running towards us. Then He protects us. Meaning you find yourself yourselves in situations where you could actually fall back into it. And if you've made an effort to stay away from it, And you surrounded yourself with good people who would encourage you and support you then inshallah Allah will support and protect you from it you know that you get the text message like hey like every Friday night we're doing this are you coming and you've made a decision I'm not doing anymore I'm not going there anymore you're in that moment where you have to make a decision do you give preference to that that whatever that activity is or do you give preference to God we're always faced with that all the time so that's really critical, right? Is what, what, are we, what messages are we sending God? And then expecting Him to treat us a certain way. Does that make sense? And so ultimately, we have to develop a, a healthy fear that is driven and induced by our deep respect and love for God. That's what's desired from us, right? And it's really beloved to God. See, the one thing that I hope we can all understand is that, you know, human beings are always trying to do the right thing. They could be severely mistaken about what the right thing is, but they're trying to do the right thing. Do you get it? And you might say like, I've said this before and I've had people push back and say like, I don't know if that's true. Because if there's somebody, for example, Who knows that this is haram, and they still do it. Knowing that it's haram, aren't they choosing to do what's not good for them? How could they still be trying to do what's good for them? See, here's the thing though. Why are they choosing that? They're choosing that because they really believe that this is what will make me happy. This is what will make my life better. They're not not convinced maybe, that if they turned away from it, that life would be good. Do you understand? So in their mistake is to believe that this haram thing is actually better for me. So they could be mistaken, that's very common. Do you get what I'm saying? Because if there's something haram that person's up to and you tell them leave it, they're like, what would life be without this haram thing in my life? Like what would my life be like? It would suck. Because then I would just be without this haram thing. All the pleasure that I derive from this, I wouldn't be receiving it. And so how would I receive? How would life be enjoyable? When I look at all my friends all the people around me, they're all engaged in it. And I'm going to be the one left behind. I'm going to be the one not doing that. And so they really believe that it's best for them to do it. Do you understand? People will do what they believe to be the right thing. They could just be mistaken. And that's, that's really the challenge of the dunya. The dunya is outwardly very deceptive. It'll present to you like it's really good for you. Like it's, it's pleasurable. And your challenge and your test and my test is to say what? No. What is truly good for me is what God has told me is good for me. Some of us spiritually, we're still like little children. Do you understand? Like we don't really understand the value. You know a little child, if you offer them what? Like a lollipop and you offer them a hundred thousand dollar check, they're gonna take the lollipop. They still understand. As much as you try to convince them, they're like, no, I see lollipop, like, that's what I want. <clears throat> right? And some of us are still that child. We see what's in front of us, what's haram. Allah told us, this is a haram, don't do it. This is much better for you. You'll have peace of heart. You won't have to go through heartbreak. Right? At least you'll know that you're pleasing God. At the end of the day, you know that if you die tomorrow... You died with God being pleased with you. And some of us say, yeah, but you know, the lollipop. Like, no, I want this. And we choose this. And so that's where people can be mature in different ways. You could be biologically mature. You could even be psychologically mature. But you could really lack in spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity relates to realities of life. For example, someone who's spiritually mature understands that death is a reality. And they live like that see we all know death is real but we may not live according to it the ones who live according to it know that death is real on a on a much deeper level yeah there's only one guarantee when you're born absolutely right we will all die we're not born we're we're not We're not here to die, like that's not the objective, we're here to live. But the reality is that we will die. And that's just an example of people differing in their spiritual maturity. So I want want to share with you a hadith, which I think is so profound. Because sometimes when we're making an effort to try to get close to God, and we're trying to please God, sometimes we get to positions in our lives, where we don't know, right? And, and we really doubt whether or not God would forgive, whether or not God would accept us. Right, and, and that's a form of fear though. Do you understand? That's a form of healthy fear. And I wanna talk a little bit, I wanna share this hadith from Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him said, rajulun ala that there was a man who indulged in sin, like a lot of sin. فَلَمَّا حَضَرَهُ الْمَوْتِ When death, when it became time for him to pass away, أَوْصَى بِي بَنِيهِ He called his sons to give them advice. And he said to them, إِذَا أَنَا مُتْتُ أَوْ مِتْتُ فَأَحْرِقُونِي ثُمَّ ازْحَقُونِي ثُمَّ ذَرُونِي فِي الْرِيحِ فِي الْبَحْرِ He says, when I pass away, I want you to take my body and burn it. Do you understand? Burn it to ashes. And then take those ashes and scatter them in the winds of the sea. like don't put them in one place. Throw them everywhere. And he says, "For Allah." <laughs> he says, "Because I know that if Allah gets a hold of me, He'll punish me in such a way that he's never punished anybody before." That means the individual believed that they were like the worst person. And they were convinced of that. And so that's what they did. فَفَعْلُوا ذَلِكَ بِهِ And then Allah Ta'ala He eventually Right? And this is now the Prophet Sallallahu talking about what will happen on the Day of Judgment. That Allah called the man before him and said to him hey, Why did you do what you did? Why would you tell your sons to go and scatter you know, the ashes of your body in different places in the sea? Do you see the problem with him doing that? Number one, it's haram. You can't do that. Number two, what was his logic behind scattering the ashes? He believed that Allah would not be able to resurrect him then. I mean, that's an aqidah problem. Do you understand? That's a belief problem there now. The individual actually believed that God was incapable, God forbid, that God was incapable of actually resurrecting him if his ashes were scattered. So God asked him, Why did you do that? And God knew. And the man said, He said, My fear and my awe of you. And so the Prophet said, فَغَفَرَ لَهُ بِذَلِكَ Due to that, Allah forgave him. Wow. Isn't that crazy? How many things did the guy do wrong? Number one, he believed, like, he he probably was not the greatest believer. If he's convinced that he's, like, the worst person on earth, right? That Allah would give him the greatest punishment, (laughs) number one. So that means he probably was not the most obedient, number one. Number two, he asked to be burnt to ashes. Then he asked to have his ashes scattered. Despite all of that, what got him the forgiveness of God? That it was all driven by what? That healthy fear that's motivated by what? A deep respect for Allah understand. That's the power of deep khashya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, how do you develop that then becomes the question. How do you develop a deep fear of God? It starts with the knowledge of God. How do you begin to how do you respect someone deeply? Tell me. Yeah. By getting to know them. To know them. And seeing how they interact with you. Understanding things about their life. Isn't that you hear somebody you know um, has done this good thing for so long, and you're like, "Wow, that's amazing." It says something about them. You interact with them, and they're so gentle and kind. You're like, "Wow, yeah." Boundaries, like, tell me more. Sure, for sure, yeah. When they set boundaries, and they set boundaries on themselves too, right? So not only do they set boundaries, um, they adhere to the boundaries of God, but they themselves have boundaries that they adhere to. If I say something, I do it. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. I live my life, that's what integrity is. It's to be an upright person. When you start to learn these things, yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, so when you respect them, you start to listen to what they say, for sure. So it starts with learning about God. How do you learn about God? See, like, if you want to learn about a human being, what can you do? You can walk up to him and be like, yo, tell me about yourself, right? Like, who are you? Okay, what do you do with God? Know His names, first. Sorry? Know His names. Know His names. Right. Know His names. Yeah beautiful both are beautiful answers right one is to read, to recite the quran cuz that's where god tells us who he is that's where he tells us who he is and then in almost every single verse did you notice this almost at the end of every single verse what does he always almost end every verse with his names right inna allah ghafurur rahim right bakana Allahu aliman his names, his name why would he do that all the time? He wants us to know those names. Because to know those names is to know who he is. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you have your hand up. Um, I feel like you also have to know a lot more just like talking. SubhanAllah. Yeah, through our conversation with Allah, he shows you who he is. SubhanAllah. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. A lot of what you said is predicated on knowing the names, right? So when you know that He does these things, then you can begin to notice them. That's another thing. A lot of us don't notice what God does for us because we don't even know what God does. Do you understand? So when we learn the names of Allah, we also know what people do. What Allah does, sorry. Does that make sense? And we can begin to notice that. Like let's say you notice... Right, I remember this one person. The dude was like, and we're talking pre-COVID, by the way. Always like sanitizes hands, all the time. This is pre-COVID. I was like, brother, like, what's going on here, man? Like, you're making me feel guilty, right? Like, he was ready for COVID before COVID. I tell you. And and I asked him, he's like, oh, you don't even know how much how many germs are on everything. I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't know, and I'm I'm kind of happy that way, right? Um, he's just like yeah I said how do you know he said yeah because I'm studying studying something like microbiology or something at McMaster I was like oh because he's seen all that he's seen the germs you ever seen those videos that show you the germs it's like some you know some special lens and they show you look at the germs on this and you're like I'm never touching that again right he'd seen that so then he was what he was convinced That, like, like he saw it with his eyes, like, just just germs everywhere. That's how he kind of functioned. Someone who doesn't know what he does could not make sense of it. They'd be like, What are you doing? Once I learned that that's the reason, I was like, Oh, that makes total sense. So often God deals with us a certain way, we're like, What's he doing? And then you learn about God and you're like, Oh, that makes sense. Because sometimes the context is provided by who the, the being is. That's why it's so important, guys, so important to learn the names of God. To study the Qur'an, to develop a worldview through the Qur'an, right? And to really, inshallah, inshallah going forward at some point, we did this before, and we'll do it again. Because we sit down with the Qur'an verse by verse and we go through it. To just learn, for some of us, we've never read the Qur'an, a translation of the Qur'an. Maybe, you're, maybe you did the Khatam of Qur'an in, in Arabic, but maybe you've never read the translation. It's not haram to read the translation, yo. It's a fatwa. It's not haram. You can read it. It's crazy how, won't you give it to a non-Muslim? Won't you give a, you give a translation to a non-Muslim? But if I tell you to read the translation, like, nah, me, I'm not a scholar, I can't read it. Dude, that dude's not even Muslim. <laughs> but somehow you're like comfortable giving him the Qur'an translation. But you won't read the translation. Do you get what I'm saying? So it does take some explanation to appreciate the Qur'an, but you can read it. And it would be a tragedy that God sent us a message that our whole lives we never opened. It would be a tragedy, right? Um, The last thing that we'll talk about here and then we'll we'll, we'll wrap up is the deep knowledge of God. How deep is your understanding of who God is? The word in here in Arabic is ma'rifah. And Marifa is different than the knowledge I was just talking about. Prior to this, I was talking about what could be considered um, conceptualizing God correctly. Like, Like having a correct concept of God. A deeper level is when you experience the world in light of your understanding of God. And so, now God is a lived reality. Does that make sense? There's a very big difference. For a lot of us when we're younger, religion is not a lived reality. It's just some words we know. You know what I'm talking about? Like little young children, when they're younger, for religion for them religion is what? It's just it's just a lot of words, a lot of theories. As you get older, you're meant to mature spiritually. Part of maturing spiritually is to begin to take what you learned about Islam and begin to live it as a reality it's not merely a conceptualized theory because we could talk about spirituality all day we really could the words of religion are very easy you notice that the words of religion are very easy that's why sometimes you might have noticed that someone will say some words of religion and they won't they won't have an impact but you'll be going through some difficulty and someone will come to you and say, hey, don't worry about it. You know, God is not burdening the soul with more than they can bear. Right? With more than they can bear. And you're like, it sure feels like it, yo. Right? Like, the words are not giving you any comfort. Why is that? Yeah. I think because, like, you have to have faith in everything, right? So I feel like what, what do you mean by that word? You said you have to have faith. What does that mean? like, have to believe on those words. What does it take to believe? Right, but then to be patient, you have to. You have to believe that your patience might result in something. Yeah, like, um, like, like the words you said, like long enough to know right? That's what you mentioned. What I would say is, you don't know until so you go through it, right? So patience comes in. But it feels like I won't even make it through it. That's the thing. You have to believe in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. I, I think you're you're getting onto something. You're onto something now. You're saying I gotta trust in God. That He'll actually He will not murder me with more than I can bear. I have to trust him. Why would I trust Him? Because I'm pretty sure Allah put you through certain things just to bring you closer to Him. So that's Allah's plan, right? So I don't know on God's plan. I don't I don't know. but what I'm saying is <laughs> How do I say it? Like And like bring me closer? A lot of times, man, the pain takes me further. Because I'm like, God, how are you going to do this to me? <laughs> okay, so with pain, I feel like it brings you closer to Allah. Is it can, but if you kind of allow it, I... someone might say, like, it takes you away. I think, this, I think it's a reality. There's a lot of Muslims who've been pushed away from religion due to pain. There's a lot who've been brought closer to religion through pain, absolutely. There's a lot who've been pushed away. Can can I comment on that for a second? Okay, go ahead. I'm a little bit older than everybody here, I'm sure, and I'm new to Islam. Mm-hmm. But when I reflect on my life, yeah, yeah, the absolute most important lessons I learned mm-hmm. was through pain. Yeah, yeah. I say alhamdulillah. This is what I needed. Right. It's not the good times. You don't learn nothing in the good times. I think what the sister's trying to say is, through these tough times is when we learn. Right. And sometimes there's very important lessons we need. Right. I absolutely agree with you. right from yeah, yeah. Allah. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Look, I'm just playing Shaitan's lawyer. Right? <laughs> I'm just playing Shaitan's lawyer here. Um devil's advocate for those of you who didn't get it but no no but it's it's a real thing right you will talk because we got to be careful right we cannot spiritually bypass people's problems If someone's in pain and we just tell them yeah you know just trust they need a reason to trust right and so religion has to translate beyond theory beyond words it must become a lived reality in our hearts Religion is a transformative power. Religion is not merely something you sign up for so you can join the club. It's meant to transform people. Because we can wax poetic about esoteric concepts all day and all night. It does nothing if we are not improved human beings. Isn't that like one of our greatest complaints? Is look at this religious person totally going against what religion preaches. And someone says, "Okay, well, what do you even mean that? Because you said they're religious. Well, we're saying that they say the words of religion, they speak words of religion, they outwardly may even ostensibly dress like a religious person, but there's a lived reality where you're in a you're in a you're in a position where you could cheat somebody to make more money. Do you do it? Have you ever?" And this might go on, but have you ever tried to, like, it happened to me once. I went to go buy a phone. This was back in the day, by the way. And I was buying a phone, so I had to meet somebody at a Tim Hortons. And you know what he said in the ad? Perfect condition. Mint. Ya Allah. It did not take much, man. All of a little, like a little thing, I saw, like, scratches. I was like oh, she was wearing hijab. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is terrible, man. I didn't know what to say. Right? Now, I'm not trying to clown on anybody for wearing hijab, uh, Allah, never. I'm saying, what happened there? <laughs> right? Like, that's a person who's clearly has some level of commitment to Islam. Right? But, it was not a lived reality. They wanted the... you know the maximum amount of money that they could get and they were willing to lie for it and so the religion had not transformed beyond what because if you ask them what does your religion say about this they would give you the religious teaching it's haram to deceive people It's haram to lie they give you all that words but in the moment where there's money at stake like actual money people can lie people can cheat and that's because the religion has not gone, as some say, beyond the tongue, it's not reached the heart, it's still up here. It's a short distance from the tongue to the heart, but it's a long distance, it takes a lifetime to, to get those words to the heart. And that's part of what our goal is here, is we want religion to be a lived reality for us. That when we leave these gatherings and that we go out in the world, when we go home, that people look at us and say, MashaAllah. Like, we can see that you're, 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 you're a better person. That has to be the goal of religion. The goal of religion is not to increase numbers and to sign up and join the club. Because there's many clubs. Do you get what I'm saying? May Allah grant us tawfiq to be people that are transformed by the knowledge of religion that we learn. That we are transformed in how we look at the world. That we are transformed in our relationship with God and in our relationships with the people around us. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khayyar to everybody for coming out. Walikullin wijhatun huwa muhali'iha fastabikul khayrat. Aynama takoonu yahtibikum allahu jami'a. إن الله على كل شيء قدير